I think this is the most patriotic thing you can do is question and say like, hey, this is fucked. We can do so much better. You know, it's like when people are like, if you don't like it, leave it. It's like, bro, like what kind of idiot attitude is that? Like, you know, it's it's like, it's like if you had someone you loved and you know they're, they're messing up and they can do better, you want to kind of hold them accountable. Welcome to the Mentally Shredded Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Whedon. Having lived through the lows of depression and anxiety myself, I reestablished my foundation by focusing on four pillars, mental, physical, spiritual, and financial well-being. And I'm here to help you do the same. My guests and I will share our journey with you, stories of triumph and personal development tools to empower you to live a life without limits. As ambitious people, we know what it's like to face challenges. We're not meant to do this life alone. I'm here to help you take your power back. What's up, guys? This is the Mentally Shredded Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Whedon. And today's guest, Ben Delacour, artist and just creator Happy to connect with you again, Ben. This is the second time we've actually had the opportunity to have a conversation. So I'm just looking forward to having you on, having you share your story, and just to let people know everything that you have going on out there in Tennessee. So without further ado, how are you doing? I'm good. Yeah. Glad to be here. Yeah. You know, yeah, just glad that we're giving this another shot. You know, hopefully the first one was a dry run. I was very sleepy anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> no, that's perfect. That's perfect. The The beauty of, of these episodes is people, people expect everything. They see the final product, right? And then they don't see what's going on behind the scenes. They don't see audio issues. They don't see cancellations, reschedule, like between right. me yeah. and other guests and just what have you. And so I'm always just honored for anybody that carves out time to to make this happen so appreciate it again but yeah man let's let's dive into it i know we have a amazing story that we can share with our audience and i believe real quick before we dive in you just got back from tour correct yeah like a like a week and a half ago okay okay so how how did that go because i know i mentioned real quick in your intro that you were an artist but let's uh let's dive into you know maybe the band name what you were on tour for where y'all where y'all went performed i mean you know torn is how i made my living prior to covid you know it's kind of a necessary i mean it's not evil but it's a necessary kind of aspect or or a big part of what we do if you're you know if you're a musician you got tour especially if you're you know i mean you should like even even you know taylor swift and beyonce have to tour you know they're out there touring a lot you know just because of the industry being the way you know i mean you know like any other industry it was always run by power hungry greedy monsters you know so that hasn't changed you know now there's just less money in it you know, I mean, I'm like a folk singer, right? So it's kind of like 
there was never going to be any money in it for me. <laughs> all my all my heroes died obscure and penniless, and I'm right on track. So you're you what you were saying to our audience is, hey, if you're looking to get in this industry, don't expect to to make millions like Taylor Swift right now, right? Like this is a grind, just like any industry. It's a grind when you're when you're climbing your way up. And also, you're a folk um, artist, right? Yeah. So for people that don't know what folk is, because I, when I first heard of folk, assumed it was more of the storytelling, a mix between country and blues, yeah. right? Kind of talk about some of your your music. I, I know um, I've heard some of your songs, but kind of like just talk about some of the inspiration behind it. I mean, you're not wrong, like, in terms of what you assumed it to be, it is a lot of storytelling. Like folk is a genre. That's what you know has always drawn me to it. I think it's kind of like a minimalist thing in general. Folk music, kind of. I mean, like any term has been you know bastardized, and as as it should be. You know, things are always a state of flux and mutating and taking on weird forms. You know, other you know, I, I know there's. Yeah, I mean, you don't you don't want anything to be tra- anything creative or artistic to be trapped in amber. You know, that's like uh, stuff in the Smithsonian Museum or the British Museum with all the other stolen artifacts that people have been, you know, <laughs> people have been uh, deprived of by great empires. <laughs> you know, Fair. so yeah, it's it's a lot of storytelling. You know, that's okay. what always drew drew me to the. You know, I grew up like a listening to that kind of music from my parents you know or like very old rock and roll like you know old kind of country blues stuff a little bit but mostly kind of you know their children of the 60s 70s my parents right so they grew up with a lot of the, the good stuff so i you know had a good education and you know like you know bob dylan and the everly brothers and you know like uh neil young and Van Morris and all that kind of stuff. But then, you know, but, but then I, I, I was like, I was like a heavy metal kid, you know, like a punk rock heavy metal kid. Like I, yeah. I, I was too young for grunge. Like I liked grunge, you know, but by the time I was old enough to like know what it was, you know, all Kirkland was long dead and all those. Um, so I kind of grew up in a very terrible era of music, the kind of late nineties early 2000s kind of like butt rock new metal you know yeah. just one of the most cursed eras in history for music so i kind of like immediately started once i discovered bands like nirvana and alice in chains and i was like okay i'm gonna work my way back so then i got more into like more into like metal stuff you know like the slayer and things like that and i was like yeah man this is what's up you know and uh so I listened to a lot of that. So I, I kind of started playing in bands, you know, that those kind of bands when I was like 11, 12 years old. My brother's a, a drummer, a really excellent drummer. And so we kind of just played in bands together growing up. But that kind of got boring after a while. We had a tour where my brother, he's like a big guy. He like pile drived our bass player into the concrete and like broke his arm, our bass player's arm. So the tour had to be like the whole tour had to be canceled and he had to, he had to take months. And I was just like, you know what? I don't want to play in bands anymore. Like 
<laughs> I think this is a sign. I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Well, it sounds like your parents had a huge influence on on this path, especially in music. And now yeah. you're, you're a solo artist, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I make records, you know, as you probably heard, with, with other people. But, like, again, you know, 90% of my income comes from touring. Yeah. So, you know, when I tour, it's almost always solo. I'll do a little bit of stuff for the band. But, uh, you know, I, I like presenting my songs and, you know, just kind of stripped down me and a guitar on stage kind of thing. I think it's my favorite way to get them across. But I realize that that's maybe not, I don't know, you got to mix it up, I guess. So, yeah, like, you know, pr primarily, this is very tangential, but primarily I'm a solo artist. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Answer your question in a very long one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, all good. All good. I grew up in, you know, competitive choirs, singing music was a huge part of my life, grew up in church choirs, right? And so the one thing that I don't do is play an instrument. So I would rely heavily on a band if I were still performing. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a there's a somewhere for everybody to slot in, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So let's um let's talk about your your work. You work with at risk youth. How did you get involved with that? And, you know, I guess if the direction that you went as far as helping at-risk youth had anything to do with your personal journey, let's dive into that as well. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, it definitely kind of informs, you know, it's definitely part of my, you know, personal journey with sobriety. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think being of service is one of the best things you can do both both for like sobriety and also just for your general mental health it's been great for me a great job you know i've never had a job i didn't hate you know like outside of music so it's really nice to have a job that i actually enjoy and feel like is providing some kind of meaningful you know like even if i'm just a, a tiny little part of one of these guys journeys you know and, and it's just this generation gen z man they're awesome i love them you know whenever like you know people are like oh i'm like bro these guys are the best like they're just so far so far beyond as as a millennial my generation you know i think millennials were too collectively traumatized to really like do much you know but gen z man they're just like level of self-awareness their vocabulary around stuff they're ability to hold each other and themselves accountable for like what they say their kind of level of acceptance of of each other and you know acceptance of self is just far beyond any of the other generations as far as i can see you know yeah um, yeah so it's great to work with that kind of age group and yeah i work with yeah teenage guys 14 to 18. okay it's in a treatment facility you know, I've been in treatment facilities, I've been in psych hospitals, I've been in places. So, you know, it's if I can just kind of be a, a supportive, non-judgmental, you know, then I'm good. And then I feel like it's, I'm doing my job. Yeah. Do you feel like your lived experience has allowed you to be a more of a supportive role for these, for these young men? Play more of a yeah. I mean, I think that's probably all I have to offer is my own experience, you know? So 
better to put it to good use. Yeah. Yeah. Lived experience, I, I think, is the best teacher. Even yeah. going back to what you said with Gen Z being essentially Gen Z is more self-aware. They're, they're maybe driven more, focused more. They, they try to stand up for each other more, right? Like, yeah. And I'm curious because each generation was raised by the prior generation, right? And so Mm -hmm. with all the trauma that we had being raised by our parents, right? We, I believe millennials had the opportunity to look at our situation. I mean, look at things even today, right? Like with mental health and um, advocacy and all these things. But we had a decision to make, I think, even at a young age where we started kind of defying norms and and stepping out against like prior what prior generations were saying and i think the kids now were being raised either by millennials well most likely by millennials right and so when you're raised in an environment by people that have a little more self-awareness than the prior generation i feel like it's just going to continue to trickle down and imagine the kids growing up to the gen z years right just mind-blowing what they'll look back and be like, man, our parents didn't even get it, right? And we're looking at Gen Z like, man, they're so self-aware. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's something I think about a lot too because, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of, well, the younger half of Gen Z, yeah, a lot of them raised by millennials, but, you know, the 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 age of the second half is like a combination, right, of like either elder millennials or like Gen X. And Gen X were kind of, I think a lot of Gen X, you know, they, they had a lot of good ideas and stuff, I think. But, I, you know, I think that millennials, we kind of, we were the ones who, you know, when I talk about collectively traumatized, you know, it's like core memory, 9-11. And then like graduating into the workforce during like the worst recession in modern history. And then like this endless war and like, you know, the whole concept with you know, the the gas companies and everything paying billions of dollars in advertisement to try to put the the guilt of climate change on the individual, right? You know, when they're, you probably remember like when we were kids, how they were all like, only you can stop climate change. You have to turn your lights off. It's all your fault. You know, in reality, it's like just five corporations are contributing 95% of all greenhouse gas emissions, you know, or like, I read a statistic like that. I think the twelve biggest cargo ships do more damage to the atmosphere than all the cars in the world combined. Mm. You know, but we were told, "Oh shit, bro, this is your fault. Like y'all are fucking this up. You better, you better act right, or like everyone's gonna." You know, so it's like all those little things, right? Also, we were the first generation who like college was like so insanely expensive, and we got nothing for it. You know, I'm, I'm, I got my GED. Actually, when I got out of the psych hospital for the last time, I got my GD because I wanted to work in this field that I'm working in. But like, no matter how terrible the job I've had, you know, I've had a lot of menial labor jobs, bartending jobs, barbecue jobs, bouncer, all the kind of stuff, farm work. Most people I work with have a degree. You know, the only difference between we're both working the same shit job. The only difference is they're in astronomical debt. You know, and and so it's kind of like we experienced firsthand, like that we were sold a bill of goods that was, you know, 
worthless, you know, because, and it's not really their, our parents' fault because their lived experience was super different. And, you know, I had very open-minded parents. And I'm lucky in that sense. I mean, I think a lot of my behavior and life choices have been continuing to baffle them, but they're always kind of like, hey, man, we see you're working, you know, you're, you're doing the thing. Like, we were, you know, but, uh, but like, you know, so many millennials, we were like, had all this crazy pressure to go into college, you know, and then came out with all of this debt, you know, paying so much more than any other generation. And the degrees are worthless. You know, maybe if yeah. you're a doctor, an engineer, it looked cool, but, you know, the vast majority of them are. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, and you, you'd think a lot of jobs are requiring master's degrees now, right? Right. It's like the new, right. Yeah. Master's degree is like the new bachelor's. And so um, there are, scheme. yeah, exactly. And, there, and, there's, <laughs> and we understand why, right? The businesses have a vested interest in the colleges. And so the colleges and the businesses are able to operate a certain way. And, and so you're constantly trying to figure out, okay, well, where do I fit in as an individual on this spectrum, right? Because I went to college, I got a business degree. And to your point, I have college debt that I'm still paying off. And now I'm seeing kids coming out and they're like, I'm going straight to my master's, right? And then, because so at some point, you have to get back to the place of where people were before, right? Because we have a lot of educated individuals who are not oh, yeah. true scholars, right? And I believe that, again, going back to lived experience, if you and I actually go through a period of life where we we literally focus on this craft and we're just working on this craft and we get 10,000 hours in. I know that's that hot button for a lot of people. 10,000 hours, you're a professional, right? You're an expert. Um, you get 10,000 hours in over here and this person goes to college and gets these degrees and then goes straight to the workforce. You're telling me that this individual with no work experience, but college experience, is more qualified than this individual that has the hours and the fruit on the tree can actually go in, show you what needs to be done right off the bat. Now, I believe, this is my opinion, I can pay this college person probably a little less when they're coming right out, unless they have their master's and what have you. And again, why people are going back to get higher degrees. But for me, with the degree, I will always look and look at somebody's experience. Where did you come from? What did you learn? And will you add value, period? I don't care about the degrees. What's your heart like? What's your character like? Because I can hire somebody with the degrees that might not be a good fit because maybe their character's off. Maybe their integrity's off. Maybe they are a good fit and it doesn't matter. But either way, that, that can't be the standard anymore oh, this person has a degree, so we, we're just going to hire this individual. There's a lot of people that aren't going to college because they just can't afford to go to college. Right. Yeah, they can't afford it or, you know, it's that horrible catch-22, right? You come out of college, you're like, we want you to have a college degree plus eight years experience. It's like, bro, how am I going to get the experience? I'm 22 years old. Like, you know, and then there's the people with experience that are like, well, we want you to have a master's. It's like, well, I'm not going to go back to school and get a master's to make 15 bucks an hour. Though. Like, you know, it's, that's a whole 
and that's a whole other thing yeah you know, just yeah con- continued exploitation or- looking for a consulting firm that can help your organization achieve its full potential look no further than deck leadership with over 25 years of experience in nascar founders mike metcalf and sean pete know what it takes to lead high performing teams they can help you uncover opportunities for diversity efficiency culture and kindness all while inspiring human brilliance and if they can lead pit crews that can change four tires and fill 18 gallons of gas in less than 12 seconds just imagine what they can do for your organization visit www.deckleadership.com for more information how do you feel it impacts someone's mental health to to know that they they are trying they're doing everything that even if they followed the path, right? They followed the path of college. They followed this this set path, and they're still behind. They're still behind financially. They're still trying to pay all this debt. They're living paycheck to paycheck. They're going month to month, right? How do how do you feel that impacts someone's mental health? Because you're preparing youth to step into this, right? And hopefully, they're better prepared than we were. Oh, I mean, it's has a heinous effect on your mental health. You know, we're we're completely at mercy of these big corporations, right? Like they set the price of things, you know, they set the wages that they pay people. So it's you know, it's it's horrifying that you have to work the vast majority of people multiple jobs, you know, just to pay you know, and the cost of everything has just gone up even in the last fifteen years. It's just twenty years, it's it's obscene you know and people are getting paid the same you know and it's that that whole thing that people are like well we raise minimum wage things will get more expensive it's like bro things already are more expensive yeah. have you fucking noticed <laughs> you've not been paying attention like the things are going to be more expensive like a you know even a used corolla is like fourteen thousand dollars now yeah you know like it's it's everything is more expensive and it has been you know that that is accelerating if anything you know and then you know you got people just thinking that raising the minimum wage by four dollars is just gonna destroy you know the economy the economy like you know to paint with a broad brush like who gives a shit about the economy like you look at the stock market being an all-time high and you're like yeah great and there's like you know, even more people living on the street. Like, how does that actually affect the working person or the person who's not working? Because they're just as deserving of basic human necessities and, and care. And, you know, it's like when it became all about maximizing shareholder profit as opposed to actually having a company that functions and makes money and can employ people. I think that's was a huge turning point, right? When this kind of like, spiritual affliction obsession of just continuously maximizing shareholder profit Mm. became the priority that was like when you know that was when we hit the iceberg yeah Um, i wonder if and so it's had a terrible effect on people it's awful because like you're in huge debt you're working your ass off and then you have a lot of people from prior generations being like well like 
if you didn't go to school, they're like, you should have got a degree. And if you got a degree, they're like, well, you shouldn't have gotten so much debt. And it's like, how do you think I got in debt in the first place, bro? It's getting my degree, you know? And it's like, and you're still working for 15 bucks an hour. And you're, you know, and you're just like, that's gonna, you know, and people wonder why, you know, and I, I think it's the opioid crisis is very telling, right? There's the majority of countries are maybe, maybe not the majority, but there's lots of countries in the world where you can literally just go into a pharmacy and buy opioids over the counter and they don't have the issues that we have and i'm talking about even prior to fentanyl you know fentanyl is a whole different game but like True. prior to that which is just you know fentanyl is just like this just yeah beyond like a horror movie but like even prior to that you know with the first decade or so of the opioid crisis it's, it's like why do you think everyone is turning to things like that because like living is feels completely just like you're just getting crushed at every turn. Yeah. You know, you're you're just getting shit on by anyone in the political sphere shitting on you or patronizing you. Employers are just ripping you off. There's no social welfare to speak of for the majority of us. Access to mental health care is you gotta jump through a lot of hoops, right? You know, it's yeah. it's very you know, I've been through that situation and it's you know, and I'm sure you have and a lot of people have. All those things combined, it's like, yeah, dude, there's no wonder people are like hooked on Oxycontin. I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that there's like no, you know, you have people and then you turn on the TV and people are talking about how the stock market is an all time high or like, you know, $13 trillion military budget, you know, and how we have to gut the post office because it's not making profit. It's like the post office is not supposed to make profit, bro. It's supposed to provide a service, like you know what I mean. Like it's like, it's like you say, oh, the post office lost like however million, hundreds of millions this year. It's like, yeah, you like if you're looking at that perspective, the military loses seven trillion a year. Yeah, you know, like if you're looking at it, like how much profit is that making for the, you know, it's just. I mean, a lot of people in that world are making tons of profit, you know, in the military industrial complex, but but it's just insane, you know. So it's like life feels completely hopeless and overwhelming and you know you're getting degraded at every turn you know hmm. and this is like a straight white male you know like <laughs> for people who are not straight white males it's even worse you know because then like culturally you're getting just you know degraded and, and yeah it's you know and that's why i think you know like yeah they do have big problems with it now in canada and stuff mm -hmm. but i think it took a lot longer for stuff like that because there's just a different sense of of a community right like it's yeah. like people the, the the society kind of looks after the most vulnerable people for the most part yeah or tries to whereas you know that's definitely not the case here no, I I always say if I was uh, in charge of the nation, and this will probably make a lot of people mad. <laughs> good, good. Uh, you know, if I was in charge, I would make sure that everybody had, a, there was a set standard of living at a minimum, right? There wouldn't be anyone, <laughs> no one is going to go out, go without food. And no one's going to go without basic necessities, housing, housing and food. I really feel like those two things, if you can figure out how to solve that, like 
we would be great, right? And I know there's a lot that would go into that. We'd have to it'd be a big plan. However, there's when you know that there's enough money to give everyone in the world a million dollars, we can just say in the U.S., not even the world, give everyone in the U.S. a million dollars. We would still not be in the situation that we're in now. The problem, however, is financial literacy or illiteracy. The money is going to end up back in the hands that it's in because people don't know what the heck to do. We weren't taught these things, right? Again, generationally, what were people doing prior? It makes sense why there's certain families and there's certain businesses and things that operate the nation because they're the ones that were taught. Somebody taught them. They taught their family, so on and so forth. And so how do you get to a place where it is just at a minimum, everyone has healthcare, everyone has basic necessities. If we get to that point, I guarantee we're go- that's the foundation we can build. We can become whatever the America wants to become after that. All the movies we watched growing up and we believe this was the greatest country in the world, right? Uh, the land of the free, home of the brave. I grew up believing that and I still believe it because this is the only country I truly know. I've lived in other countries, but this is my home. And so I believe yeah. that's the best part of, our, of my home, but we have a lot of freaking work to do. <laughs> I think it's the most patriotic thing you can do is question and say like, hey, this is fucked. We can do so much better. You know, it's like when people are like, if you don't like it, leave it. It's like, bro, like what kind of idiot attitude is that? Like, you know, it's it's like, it's like if you had someone you loved and you know they're they're messing up and they can do better, you want to kind of hold them accountable. You yeah. know, and it's kind of like, and also the thing about if you don't like it, leave it, like, always confused me because those are the same people who are like very anti-immigration. I'm like, well, how come they're not allowed to not like it and leave it? You know, like, if, you know, like, if they don't like it and leave it, why can't they come here? And then it's a whole different thing. But like, Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that all the cognitive dissonance, right, of living in America is yeah. is knowing that we have enough houses to house every homeless person, you know, knowing that we dump so much food. I mean, you know, like, whether it be because of trade tariffs and stuff or just because, you know, other reasons, like, you know, we just have so much food that just gets essentially thrown away you know and it's 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 i think it's like the most our most toxic trait as a culture is it's like rugged individualism you know like toxic individualism thing that's going on where people think like oh like i gotta make it myself like this is a place to make like no dude like no society or culture people make it you know even if you built your own business by hand did everything yourself, you know, and like laid the foundation, poured the concrete, built the street, you know, everything. Like, who do you think pays for the roads that you haul that concrete down? Who do you think, where do you think the subsidies for all your materials come from? Where did you learn how to like do math and stuff like that to, to measure things out? Dude, those are all taxpayer, taxpayer funded things. Yeah. So like, I- you know, People are so averse to socialism, but we already live in a socialist country to a degree. Every every country that functions to any degree, it's like if you want to go to the land of the rugged individualists, like go live in Somalia. 
you know, where like there's there's like no government infrastructure, you know, like I guarantee you the people there aren't like having an awesome time and really stoked about being having to be rugged individualists, you know, like right. it's, it's hard out there, man. You know, I mean, I've never been to Somalia, but I've known Somalian people and like, dude, it's rough. It's this concept of, you know, it's just such a little step between I'm going to go out and make this happen for myself. And I'm the only one that matters. I've got to get it before someone else does. You know, we're all just fighting over the crumbs, you know, that are that are left by the financially literate people. Like, I think it's. You know, when am I ever going to need calculus? Like, you know, why do they teach that and not financial literacy? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, you know, like all those teachers who were like, you're not going to have a calculator in your pocket everywhere you go when you're older. And it's like, oh, wrong. I do. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't know how to open a savings account. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think to to your point, you said something that sparked this thought. And in every phase of life, every phase of business, you need someone. You can never do it alone, right? Very similar to plants, right? They survive off of the earth thrives off of plants and bugs and things helping each other and working together. Think about mushrooms, right? Like the the phenomenon with mushrooms and and how mushrooms. mushrooms literally create everything that we see right it is literally going to destroy us if we do not figure out a way to come together Mm -hmm. and figure out what is best for the human race not what is best for these group of people this group of people this class of people what is best for the human race and then how somehow just in america not thinking about the world right now. Obviously, this thought is for the world, but specifically in our country, when you have red versus blue, <laughs> Democrat versus Republican, right? Like you have all of these ideas and different, we are taught to separate. We are taught to fight against each other, which makes sense. We're taught to fight where our ancestors fought to survive. But we're in a day and age now where we will we'll get so much further by working together and we can learn from the things that are happening around us right we can look at if if somebody goes and spends time in nature go spend time in nature for a weekend and then come back and let me know one how you felt turn off all communication social cell phone all of that just and I'm not saying you need to go hiking. I know some people are like, I don't want to live like a homeless person for a weekend. It's not what I'm telling you to do. I'm just saying, go in seclusion, get away, turn it all off, and just sit with your thoughts. Sit in nature. Like, truly and look around and enjoy, like, how amazing it is, one, that you are even here, the chances of you even being a part of this. And then figure out, okay, how can I add the most value, not to just my own life, but to the lives around me? How can I leave this place better than I found it? And I think if we can all somehow get to that place where we're asking ourselves this question, 
the human race is going to be unstoppable. The only thing that can really take us out is a meteor or <laughs> something crazy besides because right now we're just destroying ourselves. Yeah. I mean, we're destroying ourselves, but we're also at the mercy of a very few people destroying it for everyone, essentially. You know, it just feels like an insurmountable task to ask people to think differently. You know, it's it's kind of like, I remember reading this book years ago about how, kind of coming back all the way around to storytelling and focus and stuff like that, like how... The only way we understand things is through a narrative, through a story, right? The only way we can conceptualize, which is why capitalism and this rugged individual striving has been so pervasive and toxic in our, not just our culture, but, mm. but I think we're an extreme example of it, you know, is because there's not really a story to replace that. You know, you look at the hero's journey or all that kind of stuff. It's always every story follows that kind of thing, right? So. The concept of capitalism ties in beautifully with that whole like hero's journey thing, you know, of like the individual and they come up against this and then they slay the dragon and they blah, blah, blah. You know, they have the call to adventure and et cetera, et cetera. The problem is with, with, with systems that do work, you know, where it's more communal and it's more, there just isn't a story that works. You know, that's why like we all, we all know that these things aren't real or that, you know, like, I mean, the systems of government and, and wealth, district, you know, things like that that are, but we somehow still believe that like, oh no, but like, it'll work out. You know, it's like the whole Steinbeck quote about there are no poor Americans, just temporary, tem temporarily embarrassed millionaires. You know, it's, it's like, and it's so hard to get, past that you know you know that's why so many of us default to that kind of thinking because it's it perfectly ties in with the american myth and and, um, mm. and there's not really a story to replace it and i don't think we could ever convince people of anything without finding some kind of compelling narrative you know and the whole concept of like giving things up so the community can can live is like you know, most cultures existed like that for 95% of the time we've been on Earth. But, you know, in the last thousand years, 500 years, whatever, that's all changed, you know. Yeah. And, you know, so yeah, so the thought of people, even people giving up their prior experience, you know, so many people are like, oh, well, I had to work to for a living, so why should we give this house to this homeless person? It's like, mm -hmm. what kind of fucking logic is that? Like, why wouldn't we? Like, who cares? Like, you yeah. know, it's like the world is divided into people who are like, oh, I had to do this shitty thing, so I don't ever want someone else to have to do it. Or like, I had to do this shitty thing, so now everybody else has to suffer through the same shitty thing. Yeah. Otherwise, it somehow invalidates what I've done. And it's like, a, like that's an awful way to look at the world. But I met so many people like that. I've met people in the mental Me health space like that. People yeah. like, isn't that the whole point of uh, what the work we're doing? We don't want people to, to have to go right, through dude. this. I know. Yeah, dude. It's like, what kind of like monstrous nightmare logic is that? Yeah. You know? I'm curious as, as we wrap, because I know, we, man, we could talk for days about this. <laughs> this one way better than, the, I think this is a way better interview than the first one. This, this one was fire yeah. because we actually just yeah, got dude. to sit back, relax, 
Yeah. Um, and so, bro, how do you feel as we wrap up? Like, how do you feel based off of this specific conversation? You are not only showing up as your as your authentic self, but how you're adding value to not just this conversation, but to your world, to the people around you that you have direct impact? That's a good question. Well, I, I feel like I'm really adding value or trying to add value in, in the work that I do with, you know, the guys at the Dreaming Center. I try to just be as honest as I can in my day-to-day interactions with everybody. I try to, you know, I believe like as cliche as it, as it sounds, but like I believe in like music and rock and roll and all that kind of stuff is like a truly life-changing force. Like I don't, I call these people the cowboys of truth and light, the people who are like, oh, I'm just making the world better with my music out in the world. Like, it ha- like, I don't believe in that stuff, you know, like, I think it can, but I don't think it's like, you know, I think that being a musician is, you know, essentially a pretty egotistical thing. So you have to reverse the balance by doing things like, you know, in your daily life or in your time when you're not making music that, that contribute. But like in the music I make, I try to interact with every fan who reaches out to me or people who send me messages or talk to me after shows and I try to like you know because it means a lot to me that people come out you know and it, it you know it's it's and I just try to I try to just never censor any part of myself with the music I make you know mm. and um if that makes some people uncomfortable like that's okay you know like it's it makes me uncomfortable sometimes yeah. but I'm just like this is what came through me and you know for better or worse and I, I just think try to hold myself and other people accountable in my daily life and which i don't always succeed in but i always try to do and just try to tread gently i guess yeah which i yeah. also don't always succeed in but you know and i and and really maybe the most important thing is try to be a really good and present dad to my daughter hmm. i just went Love through a, a heinous custody battle i'm towards the end of it with her mom and you know i just you know just consistently i remember this old timer in aa i once heard a meeting he was like talking about people who are being you know people who are doing monstrous stuff and just being you know he was like you know being difficult he was just like you know what you can be right i'm gonna be happy you know you can be right i'm just happy and that's mm-hmm. kind of trying to take the high road which i don't always succeed in either but i always try to yeah 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 no bro i i love that i think i i agree with that it's working to show up figure out who you are as the individual and be as authentic to that individual as possible while growing while learning all the different parts of you accepting what is accepting what is not and then continuing to grow through it all, right? That's the, that is yeah. journey. That's the life. I think so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. and just um, stay, staying curious, you know, realizing like I do have a lot of strong opinions, but they're always subject to change if I'm, yeah. you know, 
prove proven and wrong, you know, and um, try not to be too dogmatic. I love it. I love it. I I agree with that. Question: We should we should always challenge our beliefs. We should always challenge our our value system and to see if we actually even believe in what we are talking about. Do we even believe in the value system that is has been laid? And so yeah, yeah, you know, I think I think one. I'm I'm glad we had this conversation. I think it was, I agree with you as it was, it was fire definitely better than the first one. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, but I think it was just us getting to know each other, getting to, yeah, you know, dude. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, man. I man, I, I'm not even going to ask the, the affirmation question because this whole conversation has been fire, but if Hell you yeah. want to leave an affirmation for us, you can, we'll find you, we'll ask where we can find you on social and then we'll wrap up. My yeah, my socials are my website is just bendollacore dot com. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook. I deleted my Twitter because it was driving me nuts. But uh, yeah, awesome, awesome. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, much appreciated. If there was something that you could take from this episode, our ask is that you share it. Uh, please follow Ben on social media. We'll make sure that we provide all the links. And if there's something that I can work on to be a better host, my ask is that you let me know so I can constantly continue to become the best version of myself in this arena. So uh, thank you again for tuning in. Thank you to our sponsors for making this possible. And until next time, love you. Peace. Thanks so much for tuning in. I want to give another huge thank you to our sponsor, Deck Leadership, for making this episode possible. If you thought of someone while you were listening, send this to them. We want as many people as possible to hear this message, improve their mental health, and know that they are not alone. Please leave us a rating and review wherever you're listening. And don't forget to tag us on Instagram at Mentally Shredded Podcast with your biggest takeaway so we can thank you for being part of this movement. Remember, together we can change the stigma. It takes all of us.